0: Radioinfluence.com. The future is now. Well, we have hit the dog days of summer. I know around the country we just had Memorial Day, so <laughs> you're just starting your summer. But you know what? <laughs> we've we've been hit, man. It's been hot. It has been hot down here. How are you? How are you? The nation's pastime, baseball, baseball, that's what we're doing here today. No, not talking X's and O's. I don't talk X's and O's on the Rock Stops Here podcast. I go behind the scenes. I'd like to find out those that are in baseball, in the NFL, in the NHL, in professional wrestling and boxing and what they're made of. How do they get to the top? My guest today is Dave Wills. He is the longtime play-by-play voice with Andy Freed on Rays Baseball in Tampa Bay on radio. And how did he get there? How has he been able to stay there? How has he been able to have that passion for calling long baseball games a long 162 regular season games and then of course playoffs but of course once you get to the playoffs everything feels like new again a new season but anyway he's out of Chicago how did a Chicago guy end up in Tampa Bay? And he's loving life. He doesn't take his gig for granted. It's a very interesting story of success. We can all learn from it. Boy, he's got good pipes and what a delivery. My man, here he is, Dave Wills. All right, I am with Dave Wills. I think, Dave Wills, you and Andy, are you're up there as far as one of the longest-running duo of play-by-play on radio and Major League Baseball, Dave Wills? I think
1: we're top two or three. I think uh, there's only a couple more that uh, are ahead of us. I think John Miller and uh, his partner have been there a little bit longer, maybe one year. And then uh, Jim Price and uh, uh, Dan Dickerson of the Tigers have been together, uh, maybe a little bit longer than us. But again, Jim now has been a little uh, more on the semi-retired way of here the last couple of seasons. So full time, Andy and I are probably at the top, which is uh, 18 years, which is a long, long time. It feels like. Uh, maybe two or three years sometimes that's how quick it's gone. But yeah, it's hard to believe this is our 18th season calling Tampa Bay Rays baseball.
0: Now, when I'm around here and I see you guys and on the downtime that you have at the ballpark, you guys always do seem to be together. And um, is it that you honestly, even after 18 years and baseball is such a long season and a grind, you still enjoy each other's company?
1: We, we And it's not only here, but it's uh, even on the road. Uh, we're usually uh, lunch partners almost every single day on the road. We do enjoy each other's company. We joke that uh, we spend more time with each other this time of year With one another than maybe we even do with our wives uh, when we're awake. I mean, obviously, we go home and, you know, sleep with, uh, go to sleep (laughs) under the roof, same roof with your wife, but uh, awake hours uh, that our eyes are open, it's probably uh, uh, a little more on the uh, plus side with Andy and I. But yeah, I truly enjoy his company. We, you know, it's more than just baseball, though. That's, I think, what makes it. uh, You know, it's not always about baseball. You hear um, during our broadcast, we'll talk about a variety of things, but. Um, there'll there'll be some days where prior to a ball game, we're pulling up an old, um, you know, uh, Chris Farley uh, video no and just laughing. Kidding. We'll pull up a a guy that I knew from my Chicago days who did some great Harry carrying impressions to uh, you know, have a little fun and and chuckle. We listen to Casey Kasem's American Top Forty. We go back to YouTube videos, just stuff to kind of break up the monotony of a baseball season. Uh, because there is a lot of baseball. We talk about baseball three to four hours a night, I see. but uh, a lot of stuff in the pregame is stuff to make us laugh. And, uh, one of the things that we do, we're, we're both getting older. I just turned 58 and Andy just turned 51. But one of the things we've promised each other is we're going to try and hold on to our 16 year old sense of humor.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. That, that is awesome. Now let's go back a little bit. And I know that you grew up in that Chicago area. I know you played baseball and basketball and then you got to college and you were, you were pitching. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I, it seemed like you started, you were doing the school newspaper. And was it true when you were in college, you started with like sports phone with those updates. Was it a thing when you were in college, Dave, that you knew that you were not going to be able to make it in, in, in baseball and broadcasting is what you wanted to do. What, what what about that time I mean, my is- plan
1: i think going back to even high school uh my my senior year um i was uh you know we had an opening we used to have what uh, was called open campus and they got rid of it my senior year, so you could only go and take your two classes and go home for five or six hours and come back later in the afternoon and finish off your school day. But they got rid of that. So I had to fill it in with some electives. And I took a speech class because I was definitely afraid of talking in front of people. I, really? I could not handle it. I, I would get all choked up and get nervous. And so I took a speech class that was open to all ages in, in the high school. It was from freshmen, sophomore, juniors, and seniors. And a lot of theater people were in there and so on and so forth. So I got very, very comfortable by taking that class and talking to crowds and talking to people and uh, doing different things speech wise. And one of the uh, assignments was a newscaster sportscast and I did it. And my uh, teacher at the time said, you know what? I know you're writing right now for the newspaper and that's what you're thinking about doing, majoring in journalism when you go to college. But I I think you should really consider broadcasting. You were really, really smooth. You did this, you did that right. And so when I went to Elmhurst college, I was actually just going to be a student. Um, I was just going to go there and major in uh, speech communications. I was going to have a backup uh, plan, and I ultimately uh, did get a backup degree in urban studies because, you know, again, how many people get big-time radio jobs or TV jobs? And so when I went to Elmhurst College, I was just going to be a student. And then about one week into my school year, I roomed with a couple of basketball players, and they said, hey, I know you played basketball in high school. We're short a couple of guys. We only have about 12 guys on the roster. Why don't you come out? And so I went out you know, I I say I made the team. I mean, I don't even know if there were any cuts, but I made the team. I scored one point on a December night in Rockford. Um, I remember though I worked in the school, uh, you know, PR department. And I remember going through some stuff and I saw me guarding a guy and I say guarding in quotes, um, with my nose in his number seven from North park college. So, uh, you know, I, I knew that, uh, basketball was into my future. So then the next year, uh, they had a massive graduation of baseball players and the baseball coach saw me playing basketball. saw I was left-handed asked if I had pitched and I went out and I tried out in the fall. And out of about 50 people made the 26, 27 man roster and uh, had a blast and just started playing. And then my college coach was uh, a coach from Australia. And so that all kind of started coming to play. My junior year, I did uh, I did start doing a little more radio. I did a couple of football games, uh, you know, but couldn't maybe try to do a basketball game. I was doing baseball, but I would joke around on the bench. I would pretend like I was interviewing a guy or do some fake play-by-play when I was in the bullpen or whatever. And then that led me to that sports phone job. And I worked. It was nine seven six one three one three. Got that gig, and I was between my junior and senior year. And about two weeks into the gig, they said, "We're looking to hire full time. Would you be interested?" And I said, "Sure," but I still got one year left of college. And they said, "We'll work around your schedule." and my, my senior year of college, I was working full time, going to school full time, playing baseball and juggling all kinds of stuff and Everybody at Sports Phone to Elmhurst College's baseball team were tremendous to allow me a lot of wiggle room to get all that stuff that, done.
0: That, that's unusual to be that much of a hustler at that age because usually everybody's thinking about partying and mm-hmm. all the kinds of oh, stuff. It, and it, it
1: wasn't a lot of fun leaving <laughs> to go to work when everybody else is getting ready to pop open a couple of uh, cold ones and have a good time. That's for sure.
0: Now, before we get to your, your starting out your play by play, you did some coaching. And I saw that, you know, I know you were like a pitching coach. Mm-hmm. And then weren't you the interim coach for, was it for the University of, of Chicago? Chicago. Mm-hmm. So what was that? Were you thinking about maybe that? Or well, I just- was,
1: you know, I got the job with Sports Phone and, and and all along I was still kind of thinking about, all right, what would I do? Where am I going to go? And and I was always wanted to be a play-by-play guy, but it's not like, you know, now where you can go online and you find out where gigs are. I really didn't know where I was going to find a gig doing play-by-play. I mean, they don't show up in the want ads. Uh, you know, the, the, working at Sports Phone led to jobs in other radio stations doing updates. And I just, after four years of doing that, and I covered a Super Bowl, had a blast. I went to the Super Bowl that had Denver and Washington in it. And, uh, you know, Doug Williams ended up coming and sitting as close to I am as to you um, to, to do an interview. And there's oh, a picture wow. of me and him on the back page no. of the Chicago Sun Times. I'm showing my bosses. See, look at how hard I'm working. I'm standing, sitting right next to Doug Williams. Oh. He practically sat in my lap to do the interview, and uh, it was awesome. But I, I got kind of a little bored with it. And then a, a job opening opened up with the Arena Football League. Uh, I was the uh, communications director of the uh, Chicago Bruisers for a year in 1988. And then after that season, worked all the way until about January of, the, of 89, and then they took a little break in operations. And so at that time, I was kind of looking for a gig. And wow. so I called up my, pit, my man at my head coach at Elmhurst College, and he said, yeah, I need a pitching coach. So I was coaching with him. I coached with him for a year. Uh, Then he left, and I coached with another guy for a little while. And it was while I was with him that the University of Chicago called and asked to be uh, if I would be interested in their head coaching position. And so I was 25 years old, and I'm thinking, why not? So I went over there and had a blast, and uh, we did a lot of good things. We did some things that were not so good, but uh, had a blast doing it. And I was thinking about staying in coaching for a while. And so I went back and called my old pitching coach, who was a manager in the Orioles organization. His name is Mike Young. And I said, hey, Mike, I need you to be a reference on my resume for coaching. I'm coaching at the University of Chicago. I want to, you know, continue to do so, blah, 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 blah. And he said, no. And I said, Mike, I did everything you've always asked me. I said, right. you know, right. I I want to coach. He says, get out of coaching. I want you to get back into broadcasting. And Isn't I'm like, well, how does something. this guy know about broadcasting? Well, it turns out the team in Wasau, Wisconsin, was moving down to Kane County, which is the suburbs of Chicago. And he knew the owners of the team and said, here, send me a tape. I had done a game at Wrigley Field in like 1986 or 1987 in a catwalk. Wow. And I sent him that cassette. He sent it to the owners. Owners loved what they heard, and the rest is
0: history. You you know? always, so you always had those pipes. You had those yeah, pipes. Got but lucky. You worked mm-hmm. on your do your delivery. Now, you were doing play-by-play Kane County. For how long? It was a couple it was a couple years. I started in King
1: County, helped start the franchise. I was about the third or fourth person hired and did 91, 92 and 93 full time. And then uh, the White Sox heard me. And so then I went to the White Sox and did pregame post game with them on the weekends in 94 and 95. So I was doing the, the, the Cougars Monday through Friday and then going to Chicago to do the uh, White Sox Saturday, Sunday for pre and postgame shows. And then in 1996, they were uh, switching to a different radio station, and um, the the guy who had been filling in for John Rooney, Ken Korek, who's been the voice of the Oakland A's now for a long, long time, uh, he became a full-time voice of the A's, so they were looking for somebody to fill in when John Rooney went to do network radio and TV, and uh, I threw my name into the ring, and lo and behold, they uh, said, you were you're at the top of our list anyway, and so went and interviewed, and Got the gig. I mean, for a kid growing up on the south side of Chicago as a White Sox fan, uh, the next best thing to actually playing for the White Sox was being able to broadcast for the White Sox. So it was it was just it was a a dream come true. Uh, It was, you know, bittersweet because I had such a blast at Kane County. But just like the players, uh, any broadcaster that's at any level in minor leagues, they're just like the players. They're trying to get to the big leagues. And I was fortunate enough to go.
0: All right. So you're now you're filling in like with the White Sox. You're doing your pre and post. You're a Chicago guy. Was it your, did you think at the time, okay, I'm just going to be take this as long as I can and one day be the White Sox play-by-play guy, or boy, I don't see that happening. And I'm going to look around the country for play-by-play. The, and then you got the gig. Like how did, what happened? You know, it food? was
1: uh, it, with, with the White Sox, I was very happy because it was part of a, a year round kind of thing that I had. I was a, a, an update guy during the, during the week when the season wasn't going on, on, ESPN 1000, but uh, and did some shows, and and then I had uh, the UIC University of Illinois Chicago basketball job that would go from um, o- October till March, and then when that was over, spring training had a couple weeks, and then we started the regular season. I also did stuff with Notre Dame uh, football and uh, pregame, postgame, and then a, a talk show with their athletic director, and on a local uh, TV show did high school uh, a weekly high school show. So I had about five gigs going that was paying. You know, it wasn't all about the money, but it, it was it was paying all the bills and then some. And and uh, so I really wasn't looking that hard. And in 1997, I, I applied to the Kansas City Royals for a job there my, after doing two years of the White Sox. And uh, uh, I went out to Kansas City, interviewed with them. The guy driving me back to the airport says, this is probably where you're going to want to live. This is where your kid's going to go to school. Oh, my God. And, you know, it was it, I was like, whoa. You know, and then yeah. about a week later, he calls up and says, you got the silver medal. Uh, Ryan LaFever." Got the job, who is a great guy and one of my friends now in the business. But he said, we just felt like he's got a little more of a name. His dad was a big leaguer. And I said, well, what about my uncle, Maury Wills, <laughs> my cousin Bump? And they were, you know, they kind of chuckled, kidding, right? but I, he, no, there, yeah, we're not related. But uh, I said, uh, you know, I said, hey, what, well, well, come on, and uh, you know, they said, uh, you know, thanks, and and we'll, we'll stay in touch, kind of thing, and and then I, I don't even know if I applied for another job because, like I said, I was very satisfied with the way uh, things were story. going in, in Chicago, and uh, uh, loved doing the UIC stuff, loved my connection with Notre Dame, and then all of a sudden in two thousand December of two thousand four, I was we were playing a weekend in North Carolina UIC was against North Carolina Wilmington on a Saturday or Sunday and then Duke on a Monday or Tuesday. I can't remember the exact dates. And it was in between the games when I got a call from somebody who said the uh, Tampa Bay devil rays were wondering if you'd be willing to apply for their job. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I just moved into a new house. Uh, We, we, we took it down to the studs. It's, you know, and rebuilt it to my wife's likings. I'm like, you know, I said, it's a, two blocks from her older sister. It's four blocks from her younger sister. It's less than a mile to her mom's, uh, you know, let me think about it. And and that's serious. And it oh was like on a Saturday or Sunday when I got the call and it was about a week later and I just sat on it. I didn't talk to anybody. I really just sat on it for a while. And then I finally just thought to myself, you know what? There's only 30 of these jobs in the world. And so it was on the following Sunday when I sent in my uh, CD and uh, I remember mailing it in and about whatever it was a week or 10 days later i got a phone call and they said hey we'd like to you know I'm, it was actually it was uh, this was probably around december 10th or 12th i probably got there on the 14th or 15th and then on the december 23rd i got a phone call saying you're one of our finalists can you send us some more information and oh
0: my god right around christmas i still too. haven't
1: told my wife yet and uh because this was her dream home, oh. and you know, like I said, surrounded by her family, and, uh-huh. and, and all our families are from Chicagoland, so we, not, nobody ever leaves there, and so made it through Christmas, get to the New Year, and then I, I kind of broke it to her. I said, "Hey, just want to let you know, I've, I've applied for the Devil Ray's job."
0: Quiet from your wife that long?
1: Yes, that's and, amazing. And I, and I said, "I've applied for the Devil Ray's job, and I'm one of the finalists." And uh, and she was like, "Well, what would happen?" And I said, "If I get the job, they probably want me to move there." And she was a little kind of, you know, really. But then here comes mid-January and I get called in for an interview. I do the interview, same kind of thing. But I didn't think the interview went as well as it did in Kansas City. So it went okay, but I didn't yeah, think yeah. it was great. And then on February 1st of 2005, I remember I'm to this moment. I can, I'm vacuuming my, my, my bar in my family room and I'm just it's 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock in the morning and I get a phone call and it's Dave Walker, who was at the time one of the executive VPs, and he said, we'd like to bring you on as one of our new voices of the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. So I went to my buddy's sports store. I asked him if he had a Devil Rays hat and a Devil Rays jacket, and he did. And I, he gave it to me. He was mad that I'm leaving, but he gave it to me. And walked. To my I drove to my wife's office. I walked into her office with a Devil Rays hat and a Devil Rays jacket on, and I said, hey, how you doing? And her brother-in-law, who owned the company, looked at me and said, you're kind of presumptuous, don't you think? And I said, nope. I got the job, and she started bawling and crying. And she goes, "Does this mean we have to move?" And she said, I, "I said I think so." And long story short, sold the house the next day for more money than we bought it next for. Day. Yeah, I mean, maybe this guy and the people that still live there. And then two days later, uh, or three days later, I think, uh, well, about three weeks later, after coming down here a couple times and looking for houses, <laughs> I remember driving into our, our our garage, and she, my wife, saw the snowblower and the shovels, and she looked at him and she said. Well, I guess we're not going to need those anymore, <laughs> and it's worked out. It's it's worked out tremendously. I couldn't get her out of here now if I tried.
0: Isn't that what a story? Now, how did it come into play with your partner Andy? You took this gig. Did you know Andy? Did you know he was your partner? How did that work,
1: Dave? It, well, going back again to the day that I was interviewed, I, I grabbed the tam, uh, the then St. Pete Times. And I'm reading the article about it. And I think Mark Topkin's like, well, here's our 10 finalists. And it's this guy and that guy, Andy Freed and Todd Callis and this guy and that guy. And I'm going through the 10 names. And I said, I just got interviewed. My name's not on this list. You know, what's going on? Well, you know, ultimately, he did get the gig. But I had never met, met Andy. Didn't know him at all. Uh, when well, We were both hired that same day. I think we talked on the phone a couple days later. Um, had a nice, you know, uh, cur- cur- you know, courteous conversation. And then I met him. Uh, at FanFest a few weeks later for the first time. Um, I couldn't get here for both days because I was doing UIC basketball but I came in for the last uh, day back when they were doing two days sat there with them for two hours and signed autographs and then we had a a great dinner at uh, Moon Underwater and just hit it off and then two weeks later we're in the booth together in Sarasota doing a practice game. They wanted us to do a practice game together and I looked at Andy and I said "He's, he's all nervous because he says what if this doesn't work out well? I said what are they going to do? Fire us and hire new guys within like you know two days? <laughs> and I think we sat down to a tape recorder their practice game, and by about the end of the first inning, I looked at him and I said it's not going to get any better than this. I mean, we just both hit it off very, very well. I think we both come from the same background, you know, same kind of, we both went to small schools. I mean, Andy was a little more, uh, Uber focused on getting into broadcasting. Whereas, you know, I dabbled in bartending for a while. I dabbled in coaching. I I used to work at a steel factory. I worked, uh, you know, cleaning carpets for service master and, you know, going into cleaning up after fires and stuff like that. So, you know, I bounced around a little bit and did a few other things, but, uh, um, you know, I think our broadcasting thought process is the same. He listened to, uh, you know, John Miller and Chuck Thompson and down oh, the line. I listened to, to Harry Carey, Jack Brickhouse, all those guys in Chicago. And then even uh, even the non-baseball guys like Jim Durham in basketball, Pat Foley in hockey, uh, you know, and, and, and Joe McConnell and Wayne Larvey in football. So we, we we both just have the same kind of background where it's not – People aren't tuning in for Dave and Andy. They're tuning in for the Tampa Bay Rays. We are just part of the, the broadcast. And and I think it's not the Dave and Andy show. It's Dave and Andy broadcasting Tampa Bay Rays baseball.
0: Now, I know you, I'll start wrapping this up. I know you got a game to do, but I just want to, has, has it changed at all? You know, the world has changed in 18, 18, 18, 18 years. Baseball a little bit, I guess. Not too much. The world has changed. Has anything at all changed from when you two started to where you are today when you do the broadcast? Anything at all or really not that much?
1: You know, I think when it comes to the broadcast, I think it's still kind of the same. I really do. I think it's uh, we just try to be good company. I still a lot of Andy's lines, but uh, we just try to be good company. There was a great poster in uh, Minnesota about Herb Carneal that's uh, in the broadcast level. And it says he was with you when you changed the oil. He was with you when you raked the leaves. He was with you when you mowed the lawn. He was with you when you took out your storm windows for the spring. And, um, you know, then that's what we just want to be good company. So, um, you know, we, 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 I think we know each other obviously a heck of a lot more than we did 18 years ago. Our kids have grown up. Um, We, we, I, I know I'm, we're both older, uh, but like I said earlier, we both still try to hold on to our 16-year-old, um, you know, a sense of humor. And we, 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 what we do, we both know beats working for a living. I know that's my favorite line is that what I do beats working for a living because I work for a living a little bit. Right. And, and I, I feel for the people that uh, are out right. there working for a living. I mean, uh, I had somebody after a speech one time said, oh, Dave, you have such a passion for your job that I know that even if you were a garbage man, you'd have that same kind of passion. And I said, you know what? Uh, I, I got to kind of disagree with you because if I'm a garbage can, if I'm a garbage guy here in uh, Tampa, Florida and it's 95 degrees with 95% humidity and I'm picking up garbage outside, I'm not going to have the same passion I do calling a major league baseball game. I'm not going to lie to you. So uh, I think we both know how fortunate we are to be able to do what we do. And, and I think uh, the other part of it is, you know, and you know, this business rock, there's a lot of ego in this business. Oh, yeah. um, there's a lot of, you know, look, look at me, look at me. Uh, I want to be the guy with the bright lights and, and, you know, and I'm going to do whatever I can to maybe push the guy that I might be working with, uh, to the side because I want it to be more about me, um, we both leave our egos at the door, and uh, um, it, it's, it's been easy to do because at the end of the day, again, it's Dave and Andy. It's not Dave and or Andy. It's Dave and Andy, and it's, it's worked out well for 18 years, and I'm hoping it works out well for a number of other years. I'm not sure how many more. Uh, I, again, like I said, I'm 58. I'm not looking to get out of here anytime soon, but I joked with uh, uh, Vin Scully the last time we saw him. And uh, when when he was in his last year and, he, and I told him, I said, "Vin, I did the math the other day and I figured if I do 67 years of Major League Baseball, I would be 116 my last year. And all he did was look up at me. and He goes, well, Dave, we're all living a little longer nowadays. And I said, I, I just want to get to 67 years old. I don't think I'm going to do this for 67
0: years. Last two. Do you do you do you ever maybe take it for granted? You've been doing it so long. Is is it still a thrill to be to be broadcasting major league baseball at the ballpark?
1: I mean, I you know when you look and see what I you know accumulated or whatever you want to call it, um, you know every single day when you wake up and if that's the worst thing you have to do is go call major league baseball. I mean, I know that you know I put myself. I remember. Uh, what I was doing at Kane County. I remember when I was making pizzas or working in the steel mill. So, you know, I've had people come up to me and say, boy, those first few years at, uh, with the, the Devil Rays must have been really, really hard. And I, I always tell them the same thing. It, it's going to the ballpark still has the same feeling. It's the three or four hours now that we're at the ballpark calling baseball that's, that's better because we're winning. Uh, we put some banners up in my wildest dreams during the 2005, 2006 and into the 2007 season that I ever think we'd beat a one world series, much less two. No way. Uh, I'm still holding out uh, the thought process that this team's going to get us the big ring. I mean, I love wearing my American League championship rings and showcasing them and showing them off, but I'm still holding out hope that uh, this team can get it done here and win the championship. I mean, they call this Champa Bay for a reason, and we we haven't held up our part of the bargain yet. So uh, uh, I I see what those guys have done in boat parades. I'm looking forward to having one hopefully here in the very, very near future, but never take it for granted. I think as soon as you do, then you might want to start looking for something else to to do And uh, this is the, like, I, I just go back to what I say. I live in life's candy store. Uh, I, I go to work. I, I go and watch Major League Baseball for a living. I mean, there are a lot of people that would trade places, probably hundreds of thousands of people who would trade places with me in a heartbeat.
0: Here's how we close it out. By the ninth inning, I ask all my guests and I know you've gotten it over the years young broadcasters that they got the passion they want to do play by play. What is the best piece of advice that you can give Dave?
1: Well, (laughs) it's funny you say that because uh, I had a girlfriend uh, back in the day, not my wife, but another girlfriend who uh, uh, told me at the time that I didn't have the ambition to become a broadcaster. And and so now my favorite song for her is Toby Keith's How Do You Like Me Now? But uh, no, it's, uh, you know, I, I, the number one thing that Andy and I will tell any young broadcasters, first of all, be yourself. Don't try to be Dave. Don't try to be Andy. You know, I get, I get you know, tapes from people that grew up that are in Chicago that sound like Pat Hughes. Uh, I get, we get tapes from people in New York that want to be like Gary Cohen and, and the guys out there out West, you know, inevitably they mostly sounded just like Vince Scully. Uh, you know, so be yourself. There's only one Rock Riley. There's only one Dave Wills. There's only one Andy Freed. You know, there's only one Harry Carey. I mean, I, if you listen to me, I'm probably a little Harry, a little Jim Durham, a little Pat Foley, but a lot of Dave Wills. And, and that's the only that, that's that's all that's there. So, first of all, be yourself. Secondly, there's no book. There's nothing there that you can read that's going to make you a better play by playing out. So the only way you're going to get better is I think there's two ways. One is by doing it. So grab your recorder. And go sit in the bleachers of a high school game, a college game. Maybe there's a, a an up, like I said, I did it from the catwalks at Wrigley Field back in the day. But maybe there's a seat in the, uh, you know, in the outfield sections here at Tropicana Field where you can bring a microphone and, and call the play-by-play. But do the games. Can, you know, repetition is going to make you better. Again, no book, nothing like that. But then now the beauty of it is with XM and with the MLB package and everything else like that, Maybe do listen to a lot of other broadcasters. Find out what make them, st- that, you know, what makes them tick, and pick up maybe little subtleties from some of those guys. I mean, there's little things that you pick up that I've picked up from Vin, that I've picked up from Don Orsillo in San Diego, or that maybe I picked up from uh, one of the guys in Baltimore or even down in Miami, and then you kind of inter- intertwine them in your game. There's 162 games you got to call to try and make interesting. I think Mike. Uh, you know, Emmerich was a, a great, uh, the professor for, uh, uh, the doc, doc Emmerich was a, yeah. a great, um, a broadcaster for the NHL yeah. and the way he would use different verbs to describe a pass or anything, you know, it, it, makes things, you know, sound a little bit better than saying the same thing over and over again. So maybe pick up little tidbits from other broadcasters as well. Uh, so use that opportunity that I, you know, didn't have, I mean, I had a little opportunity in Chicago where maybe you can pick up Cam X every once in a while or something from Wisconsin, uh, euchre or what have you, but, uh, Uh, Try and utilize that as a tool to help you make you a a better play-by-play guy. But repetitions, number one. Continued success, my man. Thank you, Rock. Thanks. This was a blast.
0: You know, isn't it funny? uh, A couple of things there. Number one, he and Andy have worked together so long now. And because baseball, the hours and the days are so long that when they get together, they never talk baseball because they talk so much baseball on the broadcast and at the field and on the pregame and interviewing the manager and, and then the postgame. Isn't that funny? They do like movie quotes or things that will make them laugh when they have lunch or when they hang out. They just don't talk baseball. That's interesting. That's It's almost like a relationship where you got to keep it fresh. You got to keep it fresh. I better, I better, I better, uh, use those words, those sayings today. I gotta plan something for my wife tonight. We might have a date night. (laughs) It's like, I better get at it. Gotta keep it fresh. Gotta keep it fresh. The other thing is, uh, he never thought that he would live in Florida this long. He was a Chicago guy. He's on the pre and post for the White Sox. He was a White Sox fan. Does it get any better than that? And an opportunity comes up. And you know what? Takes the leap of faith and look at how it's worked out. So great. Thank you very much. He's got a great, he's got great pipes. And, uh, I really appreciate that. And I, I do, I wanted to space it out a little bit, but I wanted to let his partner, Andy Freed, know I have just as much respect of, from, with and, of Andy as I do of Dave. It I just saw Dave and then asked Dave and I want to make sure Andy, so I am going to bring on Andy Freed. He's a little bit different, but a lot of things that are similar. And, uh, uh, I I can't wait to get him on. So we'll do that. We'll do that in a couple of weeks. I want to space it out. You know what I mean? On the same subjects back to back. Um, okay. Since 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 we're kind of on this little bit of a... Oh, oh and the one thing I do want to say is it was so neat. I have been covering the Tampa Bay Devil Rays since the beginning. I was in West Palm Beach at the Breakers Hotel or Palm Beach for the announcement when Major League Baseball awarded the Tampa Bay franchise. I covered the owner at the time, Vince Namoli, before they even got baseball because the radio station that I was at, 970 WFLA, they wanted to really make sure that they got the bid and have 162 games on the dial. And I, they told me to cover uh, Vince DiMole, on whatever he did, I would go to breakfast meetings of CEOs and everything like that. So I've been covering the Rays a long time since Tropicana Field opened up. And I've been up to that third level where they have the broadcast booths of radio and TV. But I never knew that the pre and post game host, his name is Neil Solons, had his own office. I had no idea. And when I set up that interview with Dave and I am finding out, you know, what I'm trying to do is like, I'm trying to build this thing outside of just Tampa Bay. Cause those are the fans that know me. And so I've been getting some of these national names, but I just, boom, I bombard them. I only get them for like eight minutes, 10 minutes, seven minutes. And it's big names, the Adam Schefters, the Peter Schrager's, the, uh, who else That I, can I think over the top of my head? But what I'm finding out is it is it is kind of nice because a podcast is, is about storytelling. And it was two microphones. It wasn't just the one quick. And Dave and I sat down. He goes, oh, we'll do it in Neil's office. Neil has an office up here? I've been at this Tropicana for 25 years. I never knew that there was an office here. And he's got an office up there. And Dave Wills was sitting on his couch. And I was sitting where Neil has his recording equipment and we had the door. Neil was out sick. Hopefully, he'll be better soon, and I'm sure he is by now by the time we're doing this, but... So we had, and it was quiet because, you know, I'm doing it at the stadium. Sometimes they're practicing the national anthem. They got to do a sound check. They have music going. And I'm like, oh, where are we going to do this? And and man, oh man, that was nice to actually sit down and have a nice conversation. More of that will be forthcoming on the Rock Stops here. Uh, you know, and speaking, since we're in baseball now, and I'm also, what, what I've also known, and it's been reinforced, variety is the spice of life. You're going to have your go-to things that you love to do. You know, like I love when my daughter and my wife finally go to bed because my, my daughter now third turning 13 here. Oh my God. She stays up so late. Uh, but, When they finally are resting and sleeping quietly and I'm outside on my back patio or right out there in my chair and just drinking my beer and just chilling out and just, oh, and it's quiet other than some animals because I have a nature preserve behind me. All kinds of things you hear and see and surprised I haven't been. But they never bother me, man. But like, okay, so that's what I love to do. But I don't do that every night. You know, um, variety is a spice of life. Like you can't do the same thing all the time. And it's the same thing with me, like covering sports. I'm not just, uh, yes, I cover the Buccaneers, NFL, even in the off season, but it's not the only thing that I do. And I do appreciate the variety, going to the Trop, covering Major League Baseball, going to Amelie Arena, covering the NHL. And now that it's playoff time, like I really enjoy so that's why I'm starting to maybe change my tune. You know, the spring football, the XFL, like they are going to be partnering with the NFL. The NFL is going to try some things. Dwayne the Rock Johnson. I know years and years and years ago, the old USFL worked, but I don't know, man. Maybe, maybe you just need to take a. as much as we all, most of us, love football. Football is America's passion. And I love it. And I love it. And it's the number one thing. And it gets the highest ratings and the clicks and everything else. But it also is good to have an off season. It is. And so speaking of, let me give you a couple of more behind I like the behind you can tell I like the behind the scenes stories. I don't like the X's and O's that much. Everybody can break down stuff. But you know, what about behind the scenes? That's what I love. So I love being able to go in the clubhouse. And it is a lot of hurry up and wait, standing around and waiting, but I was, I've been going to at least one game of series with the Rays. I was there for the Yankees. I was there for the Detroit Tigers series. They're on the road as we're, this podcast is playing this week and then they'll be back and I'll be back. I'm trying to get Kevin Cash. I'm working on it. Hopefully, they'll give him me give him to me. Although he doesn't want to talk about himself, I'm like, ah, that's what the rock here is about. All right, we'll do it about the organization. He's such a humble guy, man. He wants the the skipper for the Rays. He's all about team, not about. He does not want to talk about himself. But anyway, what I what I noticed, and this was kind of cool. Now, when I first started covering. Major League Baseball, the Yankees, the Mets, going into those clubhouses. There was the, the constant card playing, dominoes at tables, like before games, if there was a rain delay, things like that. And then there got to a point where it was more individual uh keeping themselves busy like the years of Scott Casmir and and BJ Upton and Carl Crawford and I'm like ah oh, those guys are starting to be on their on their iPads or their their phones a little bit, you know, it's kind of changing. Wow. So now since the pandemic is done and being able to go into the clubhouse and you're kind of just standing around, you got to wait and just be, just mind your P's and Q's because that's their home. They don't really like reporters being in there. That's their oasis coaches. They might walk through a clubhouse or a locker room, but that's the player's domain. That's their house. I, you got to respect that. You're in their house. That's where they're relaxing. That's where they're chilling. They got to go out. They're paid to perform. They might be having going through a slump or things like that, and they got to get their work in. They eat at a certain time. They do study. Like let them have their time. You got. I got to respect that. Always did, and so. I was kind of uh, surprised, happily surprised when I was waiting around and I noticed most of the, uh, like the Latin players, here these kids are, we're t- this is 2022. I'm old enough to be not only past their fathers, I mean, come on now. And the young guys are playing cards again. I was like, how cool is that? Look at that. Okay, so these guys, that hasn't been lost. I thought they'd just all be on their phones. No. So I see a couple of groups, and they're playing cards. Cool. Get this. Now, Shane McClanahan is the ace. He's a young ace, a lefty for the Tampa Bay Rays. hes I'll I'll explain what I noticed about him. He's at his locker. He's pitching that day. You don't want to bother the pitcher that's starting that day. That's his day. Every five days he gets his start. Stay away from him. Everybody does. He's just a real relaxed guy. One of the, a young pitcher that's next to him is buried in his locker, reading a book. Just, just did not look up reading a book You know when you hear like, oh, these kids today. Oh, they're only on Snapchat or their phones. That's all they are. This guy is like 20-some years old, and he's reading a book. The whole time we, we were in there for an hour, he didn't look up. He ended up throwing in relief that day. Okay? That was the Tiger Series. Next series against the Yankees. I'm in the clubhouse. There's a little bit more media. We're doing interviews, then we're waiting around. You get the starting pitcher for the next day. Because like I say, in baseball, you the, your, the availability to talk to players is pregame and after the game. But the day a pitcher is pitching, you do not talk to him. That's, it's just the general rule, but you get to talk to the pitcher, then who's going to pitch the next day. And then you can use that, that day, that night, that next day, that morning, afternoon, leading up to the game. So you're kind of waiting around. Well, I was over where they have these couches in the middle of the big spacious clubhouse. And they also have a big go bolts sign. It's huge hanging from the ceiling and they're going to keep that up until the bolts are eliminated. I think that's kind of neat, you know, in a town where they're pulling for the other pro team, it's kind of cool. And I look and on one of the recliners, they have like two or three recliners near the couches. And then they've got a couple of TVs that are up and these guys sometimes glance up and to games. Another guy is reading a book and this isn't like an elementary school book. I mean, it's thick, and and I was like, wow, like honestly, the last now I haven't been in a clubhouse or locker room for at least two, three years because of the pandemic, and from three years going back to ten years, I hadn't seen players just like reading books. These that's two different players now reading books. How I, I don't know. I think that's kind of cool. You know, it's not a lost uh, art. So there was that. And then McClanahan, like this kid, he can throw over 100 miles an hour. He's got a wicked curve, like a slider, and now he's developed a changeup. If he can stay healthy, that's a big thing with pitchers. One of the old-time uh, pitching coaches said, it's not a matter of if, when. My pitchers are either going to have shoulder or elbow with the Tommy John." It's just, it just happens. But right now he came out of USF, he's on fire, but it's the demeanor. Like here he is, he's pitching that day. He's looking in now. He was just chilling with his back to his locker, looking out. He's on his phone and he's laughing and he's just on his phone. He's just relaxed. Then he gets up, Does a little stretch. He goes over. There was a putter, a golf club there, and he mimicked, pretended like he was putting. And then he walked into the back, came back out, sat back down, and just kind of laughing, busting chops with one or two guys coming by. I'm like, look at how relaxed he is. He hasn't been in the majors that long, okay? He's the number one pitcher on the staff. He's pitching that day. And yet, it isn't like he's his headphones are on, and he's so psyched. And don't talk to me. And like I was like, that that's a great sign. When you're that calm and cool, and kind of relaxed on your day, and then I told this show uh, stay. If you listen to the six twenty WDAE ninety five three FM in Tampa Bay Sports Station, uh, the Pat and Aaron Show, I did tell this story, but like go on once a month, feels like once a year each time, but anyway, I appreciate it. Those are my guys, those are my guys they've they've asked me on thank you boys goons but so when McClanahan was sitting there in his locker, one of the clubhouse boys comes by and he's like oh u s f is on I'll put it on and he's like, nah. And then they were, they had a lead and he glanced up and they gave up a lead. And he goes, turn that, turn that off. I don't want to see that. Like he's, he's still invested in his, his college, his university, USF. It was an AAC tournament. I don't know, not a tournament, a game. I don't know. I don't think it was a tournament. No. And then a pitcher for USF gives up. I believe it was a grand salami. It it was at least a two or three run home run. I think it was a grand salami. And he's like, damn. And that's the first time I saw him show emotion. McClanahan. He's like, damn it. Oh, he's like, turn that shit off. I told you to turn that off. And then he said, you know what? I wish I was still in college. God, I wish I was in college. Like he would probably, he would be dominating. He's, He's pretty much dominating almost on a major league level. But anyway, I just thought it was interesting that these young kids in their 20s are not just all on their phones. They're playing cards, and some are reading books in the year 2022. How about that? What goes around comes back around. Because my daughter just finished her school year. She's going to be going into eighth grade now. Unbelievable. I just remember her in my arm after Emily gave birth, being in the hospital the next morning, and there's just grabbed her from the little thing, the swaddling, the swaddle that she was all wrapped. But boom, popped her right on my arm. Here you go, dad. And just like looking at her and like, holy crap, I got a daughter. We ha- we have a daughter, and that's now going on 13 years ago. Like, holy crap. But when we were at a cast party, my daughter is in musical theater and chorus and all that, and we were at this cast party, and two of the da- dads. We're at, we were at a local place, a watering hole, having a beer all together, and the kids were doing all their stuff, hanging, singing, all that. They're musical, they're theater people, kids. And they were talking about their kids at 12 and 13 years old are all listening to, like, retro music, like songs that when, gosh, shit, I was either in high school, like in college, I'll hear my daughter singing songs. I was like, look at that. It comes back around. So same thing with like the reading the books and playing cards. Like, isn't that something. It really, really is kind of cool. All right. Now the NBA playoffs rolling on NHL playoffs as well. We're now in the finals, Western conference finals, Eastern conference finals. I've just got to say this. I have been at Amelie Arena for more, They call it morning skate at the NHL. NHL players, when they play night games, they come to the arena. Sometimes one or two will not. They'll sit out and rest. But most come. They got to put on all the gear, and they have practice. And it's very light. It's called morning skate. And then they will have a couple of players they'll bring up to the podium. They have the head coach. And so I'm getting to just be around that again a lot and watch and observe and talking and seeing. And I love to cover teams when they're this far in the postseason. I can remember watching infield and outfield practice before a World Series right on the field. And I just marveled at how fine tuned third base, shortstop, second base, so fluid. So like, this is the, the cream of the crop that is left playing after a long season. They are, they might be beat up and tired and all that, but man, they are, this is the bed. They are so fine tuned, like just, wow. Same thing. I cover, I was at uh, uh, a practice the other day because the lightning, they, they had a sweep. So they've had, they've had a couple of days off. Waiting to see, you know, who their opponent, we all know now, but who their opponent will be for the Eastern Conference Final. And when I went to a practice, I was just marveled at how fast paced the practice was. The passing right on the sticks, the goaltending, the sharpness, the no screwing around once you get out there. Like that's the sign of a championship team. And they're this far in the playoffs. You don't get there backing in. You don't get there with luck. Oh, it was the refs against the other team. This team is lucky. They haven't played the top. No. When you are in the finals, ready to go to the Stanley Cup or the ALCS, NLCS to go to the World Series or the NFC or AFC Championship game, and where you're at your peak. You're playing your best ball. You're playing your best hockey. And it really is... Something to see. Like, wow, there was no school. Once you're on that ice, for that time that you were there, you know what's at stake. And so it's really something to see. And then this is what I thought when I was leaving and driving home that day. Uh, Not only that day, but when the last game, when they won at home. Here they are. They win game four. They sweep. The Florida Panthers, they're now going to the Eastern Conference Finals. They're going for trying to make history to 3 Pete to win the Stanley Cup back to back and now try to get back again. And when they came out, the Stamkos, the Victor Hedman, The Vasilevsky, their goalie, who doesn't really, he is very, very shy. And he doesn't want to take credit at all. Head is down. He doesn't like, you know, and he is Russian, so is English. He's very, very shy when it comes to media. So he's really humble as it is. But the Stamkos, the Hedman, even the Cologne, this Ryan McDonough, you would never know that they had just clinched to go to the next round. You had never known that they had swept. You had never known that they're going through history because they are so confident, so experienced and so focused and so appreciative. That's what I notice. It's, it's I'm honored to be there to see this and witness this because you know, I'm from a small thing now, the Tampa free press honored to be credentialed with Brian and them. Very honored. Um, you know, I do these podcasts, uh, but I'm going to go the extra mile because these times where these teams are on these championship runs, this doesn't come around and I've been doing this so long. There'll be a day like, "Ah, oh, do I really need to go to Emily arena today? Am I going to be able to get anybody on my podcast? Am I going to be, you know, I already did this story. You know, is it really needed? No, take advantage of this because like I say, man, there, you. Usually, you go years and years and years. You know, you know, you probably have your teams that you follow and support, or wherever you're living. And there's long droughts, and yet you're still a fan. And that's what I love too. That you don't jump off the bandwagon and only front run. Who likes that? It's almost like when everything is positive. Everything, every one of your posts on your on your Facebook or your Instagram, your, everything is great. Uh, now, am I going to post some other stuff when my daughter's crying and my wife actually started crying and now everything is changing? And they're upset. Am I posting that? No. <laughs> so I'm guilty. No, no. Am I posting when I have good days and bad days? There is this comedian. He might be a little bit too much for some. Sometimes he is. He's over the top. He cracks me up that I follow on one of his podcasts. He is a character. One of the best. His name is Joey Diaz. One of the best storytellers I've ever heard. He he He's unbelievable. He's a Jersey guy. And he had a great point the other day. And when I have a down day where things don't work out or shit, this, oh, really, this, oh, shit, he had a great point. He's like, would you like life where... You win the lottery every day. You have a beautiful woman do something to you every day. You have more money than you know what to do with. You have your meals catered to you. Did every single day, that would be boring as hell. Would it be fun to experience for a little stretch? But no, you have to have down days in order to really have really good days. And so it it took a comedian joey uncle joey when i was listening the other day to just realize that and for me to try to tell that to my wife and daughter eh, because when it thinks that all is falling through and now the friendship thing and now she doesn't want to go to camp and when she's born in the wrong time, my wife starts crying and all that, if I try to tell them that, it ain't going to fly. We, men and women are different, right? Boy, do we know that, right? But when you're having a bad day or several bad days, man, when you get that good day, doesn't it feel really, really, really good? And, and if you're a good person, like, it usually will. It usually will. You know? So you're going to have bad days. Okay, today's a bad day. Today's a bad day. Or days where I go to the lightning, and I go to the rays, and I'm there for several hours, and I come back, and I really didn't accomplish anything or get anything. Okay. And then, then, I, it's like, oh, did I really waste my whole day? I did a double day duty yesterday and all those hours that I really, I kind of wasted it, didn't I? And then next day, this just happened yesterday. Next day, I'm going to the post office and I had to put something in the mail and I'm walking out. It's called the Oldsmar post office and who comes walking in, but his name is Bob Herrick. He is the top golf reporter many, 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 years at ESPN. He has been the Tiger Woods aficionado. Tiger knows him, respects him. ESPN has kept him employed for so long. Honestly, well, he does a great job. He's a good dude, but also because of the Tiger Woods, man. And so I run into him occasionally. Because he lives really close to me here, Upper Pinellas County in Florida. And so he comes walking here again, just like Flair walked up on me. And he walks right, he's delivering a book. He wrote a book on Tiger and Phil Mickelson. And he was delivering. That book or a couple of copies and he was mailing it out. He had a Ray's hat on, just a t-shirt on. Hey, Bob, hey, Rock, how you doing, man? What's happening? What is happening? I said, You still at ESPN? Because when I saw you about a year ago, your contract was up. You weren't sure. He goes, No, after all that, you know, they think that maybe Tiger might be done. They don't know if they're gonna the clicks. But I ended up at SI, Sports Illustrated. I was like, well, that's pretty darn good. You know? And we just started talking and we're BSing and about the industry and this and that. And I thought, you know what? He's got great inside stories on Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, what it's really like behind the scenes on the PGA tour. Normally I'm not a I wouldn't do like a golf thing, but that's but I was like, hey. Would you like to one day come on my podcast? That'd be great. He's like, I'd love to. All right, we'll do that. And I was like, great. We talked for a little bit more. Boom. We did the fist pump. I always like seeing him. Got my car. I'm like, there you go. Yesterday I might've struck out. Didn't get any interviews for rock stops here today. I'm walking to the post office and boom, that would be interesting. That's different. You see what I'm saying? Hey, did I tell you guys I ran into big show? I don't know if I told you this. Did I? I, I Again, I have Anheuser's. I've drinking beer, uh, drinking, 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 drank and drink and drink and drank and drunken beer so many years. I I uh, I have Anheuser's, but did I tell you that I was walking into no? I was, yeah, I was walking into where I, I I belong to an Anytime Fitness. They're great because you got your little fob, and you can go to any Anytime Fitness anywhere at any time. And I'm starting to find out that a lot of the pro wrestlers. They belong to Anytime Fitness because they travel to so many different cities and all the time, and they all they have to work out. Do you ever see any pro wrestlers that look like shizit? No, so they have to work out. And when I went to sign up with my Anytime Fitness that I go to now, the guy that was signing me up he goes, "Oh, you know who just came in here yesterday? Dustin Rhodes, Goldust." I'm like, yeah, Goldie. I've interviewed him. I like him. And he's like, yeah, he just came in. I said yesterday. Wow. I thought he was like, yeah, he goes, he was just here for something. He wanted to do the cardio came in. He remembered me. I was at another place. I'm like, that's interesting. And then, uh, so I, and there was another wrestler that worked out at an anytime fitness. I think I was over in Tampa for something. And I went there, used my car, my, my fob. Boom. So I'm coming. I got two different locations close to my house. And I'm coming out, no, I'm going in, and here's Big Show. Now, if you don't know pro wrestling, Big Show is a giant... And he is a legend. He's been in WWE for so long. He's also very successful. He's got TV shows. He just got picked up again. Uh, He was on a family type show. And then this other show where they do all these things. And he just got, I just saw that the other day. He moved over to this AEW. Uh, where Jericho, CM Punk, uh, a lot of big names that formerly were at uh, WWE. But I, I, he just walked right by me. He had like a belt, like a weight belt that we put on around his back and he had just finished walking out and he walked right by me and I just went, Big Show, how you doing, Big Show? And he's like, hey, and I can tell that he's a really good guy because he actually stuck out his hand for a fist bump. And I hit him, but he was sweating. He was getting in his car. It's 95 degrees. I didn't want to bother him. I just said, hey, Big Show, congrats on your, I like you on your TV show too, man. And he's like, thank you very much. Like, what a nice guy. And he just got in his car, boom. And I walked in. And I mean, this is a small little place and it's called Ridgemore. You would never know. I was like, holy shit, that was just Big Show. Big Show, very lucky. And then I ran into Ric Flair last week. Walking to the lightning game, I didn't park my car, and here he comes, shuffling towards me, and it's it's Rick Flair, and I, as I've said, I think I said on the last podcast, I had a mention, I go, Rick, how are you, man? But he just kept sh- walking because he is bombarded, and this is downtown Tampa. We're going before a lightning game, and he just kept going like he didn't. Sh- I stuck out my hand and I said I know Brian Knobs. And he's from WWE, formerly uh, the Nasty Boys. And he's like, stopped. Then he stopped. And then I said, I saw you wrestling with uh, this Jay Lethal. I knew your match. I heard you on the end. Then he was smiling. So let me get a picture and continued success, man. I hope you do good in that match. And he goes, thank you very much. And then he kept on walking. So I post. It's funny. I post. That got so much, so many clicks. I posted that picture of he and I and then him walking away, okay, And I had so many people tell me that they go, that was so funny that he was just by himself. I'm like, yeah, because he lives in this high rise, new, beautiful building right next to Emily arena. That's where the nature boy is living. I don't know how it's all turned out. I know he's friends with this Joe Gomez, but I, I don't know how it is that he's living here. Um, but I had so many people say, Oh, so he was, you, you saw him on the way to the lightning game? I'm like, no, he was walking the opposite direction. He I think he was heading to his bar. He goes to a, a watering hole in downtown at the water, Channel Side area, and that's where he was going. And everybody laughs. They go, oh, I thought you said you saw him on your way to the lightning game. Yeah, I was walking towards Emily. The nature boy was heading away from Emily. And they all think that that's so funny. And speaking of that... Um, and I'll wrap this bad boy up. But speaking of that, I, he is in great shape for 73 years old, for someone that had liver disease, almost lost his liver, right? He was in a coma for so long. I mean, he almost did not make it. And he has come back. And yeah, he's like, yeah, I still drink. I'm drinking. He's going to go out like that. That's his choice. Okay. He wants to live this life. That's his choice. And he goes, but I'm also in better cardio than any of you, you know, and he's been doing this workout. He works out like crazy. He drives from downtown Tampa to North. It's kind of like North Tampa. It's out a little bit it's with John Cena's trainer. He says he's in better cardio now than ever before, but he is 73 years old and he was shuffling quite a bit. So, but I didn't realize when I talked to him until he was gone, I didn't you know, he's got a pacemaker. He has got a pacemaker in there and he is taking bumps. He is getting flipped up and over on his back during this training, with a lethal and, he said on a podcast the other day that his doctor has given him the go ahead because the doctor said, you know what nature boy, I put that pacemaker in what like three years ago. Now there's enough scar tissue around that, that it should hold in place. So I was like, Holy shit. So my father-in-law is a doctor still, still grinding it. So much respect for him. And, and, so he was asking me, he came over here the other day and he was asking me about the Lightning. And he's like, Still going to the Rays? I said, Yeah, I go to the Rays. He goes, I haven't followed the Rays that much. I'm all in with the Lightning. He's a big Tampa Bay sports fan. And, uh, and I said, No, no. And I was telling him a little bit. I'd like to, I tell him the behind the scenes stories. He loves that. And I said, Richard, I got to ask you. I ran into Ric Flair. He's like, Oh my God. I said, Yeah. And he's got a pacemaker and he's going to wrestle another match. And his doctor said, that there should be enough scar tissue around that pacemaker that it should hold it in place. What do you think, Richard? Is that true? And Richard said to me, he's like, yes, that basically your pacemaker grows into your body. Like it's pretty secure there, but he has got wires and things that are attached to that pacemaker. I wanted to ask him before I did this podcast, is it also battery operated? I don't know. There's got to be something in there I, I, I that I don't know. And I know you'll correct me and you know you may know somebody, but you got wires and things attached. But you know what? Ric Flair wants to go out like that. He's going to continue to drink his beers, go to the bar and wrestle. He's going to go out. He even said, I'd rather die in the ring than die anywhere else. So that's my nature boy, woo, story. And I'm sticking to it. And there you go. There you go. So listen, my thanks to Dave Wills. My thanks to Neil Solon's from letting us use your office up there high above Tropicana Field, Neil. Thank you. And I will bring on Andy. And like I say, I got a couple in the can. I might be planning, I'm going to work on it after this podcast, might be something really, really, really cool. I'm hoping that it comes through. So I'll let you know righty. so thanks for supporting It was nice when I went on I got a couple of nice comments Being on back on DAE again And people that actually Listen to the podcast And saying nice, I appreciate it man I appreciate it And to all the haters, there's no need today To get into haters Or on all that on social media I'm in a good mood We're going to keep it like that for today Tomorrow will probably be a down day And then we'll go good on the next day Right, that sound good? I hope all of you are going to have a great, great, good, 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 good summer. And let's enjoy each and every day. All right? Have fun. I'm not saying to go out like the nature boy, but let's have fun. Woo! This is an MMA report with Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan. Quick fix on Radio Influence.
1: And I understand why open scoring would make a ton of sense. I, I I get it. Like I'm not necessarily for or against it. I'm I'm just kind of like, hey, if, if the commissions decide they want to do it, I mean there are some commissions that would do it, but I mean, let's be honest about it. As Jeff Mullen said Nevada would do it? No. And 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 I tweeted about this today, like when Andy Foster mentioned that he wasn't for open scoring. Anyone who follows the regulatory side of this sport should not be surprised by that answer. If if you're if you are surprised by that answer, you just don't follow the regulatory side of the sport.
0: The MMA report with Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvón can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts and radioinfluence.com.